Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We've been diving deep into scripture in a series that we call The Most. So far, our topics have included the most neglected verse in the Bible, the most prioritizing verse in the Bible, and the most comforting verse in the Bible. Today, Pastor Nicole is wrapping up our series with a very practical verse whose instruction seems very straightforward, but whose deeper meaning affects our walk with God every single day. So let's get started today and discover the most practical verse in the Bible. Here's Pastor Nicole. Today is the last in our series called The Most. Uh, We started with the most neglected verse, if you remember, about being a good worker of the Lord and correctly handling the word of truth. And then TJ talked about the most prioritizing verse, looking at the life of Mary and Martha. I know you want to cheer for him. Go ahead. We'll give give it. This is TJ's people over here. Last week, we dove into a short verse, and we realized it's one of the most comforting verses in the Bible. If you remember it and you were here, would you say it with me this morning? It's two words. Ready? Jesus wept, right? Lots to talk about with that two, that little verse. And so today, we're going to finish with the most practical verse. Now, you received a group of scripture cards at the beginning of this series. Uh, If you still need a pack of these, we have um, them at the Next Step Center, or if you misplaced yours, no big deal, you can grab them. Um, There are a few out there. These are the scriptures that we studied all month long. And so if you want, I want to challenge you to memorize these. Um, You might say, the second one's really long, Pastor, and I'll say yes, but the third one's really short, so I'm just even it out for you. Uh, But I'd love for you to memorize these, keep them in some place that you can read them, and the word of God gets into your heart and your life. Um, There's a blank card at the back of this too. If God highlights another scripture to you, I want you to add it to the scripture pack uh, so you can, um, you know, get into God's word that way. All right, so today's verse comes from Ephesians, and I've labeled this verse the most practical verse. Now, let me tell you, first of all, um, the titles of this series are coming from me. These are the things that I think they are. So there's a lot of practical verses in the Bible. There's a lot of comforting verses, but I'm just choosing kind of a couple that we can talk about um, throughout this month. But it reads in Ephesians 5.18, and it says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a very wealthy port city in the Roman province of Asia. I brought a map to show you today. Um, In modern day, this here is Turkey, okay? And the church of Ephesus was in the country of Turkey. And Paul wrote this letter around um, 62 AD. So we know that's about 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. So people that saw Christ's death and resurrection were still alive at this moment. They were talking about what was happening. And interestingly enough, when Paul wrote the entire book of Ephesians, he was in prison. So I don't know about you, but when, if I was ever in prison, I don't know if I'd be writing letters of encouragement you know, to other churches, but that's what is happening. And so he is writing this book 
from prison. Now, Ephesians is a very practical book that offers instruction on the unity of the church and proper conduct in church, at home, and in your everyday life. And so Paul presents a lot of simple and strong statements that give us guidelines on living spiritually right. In fact, I want to look at the bigger passage today where our verse fits so we can kind of see Paul's point. Okay, so let's read Ephesians 5, um, 15 through 20. This is what it says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is focusing on this idea that it is vital for every Christian to live wisely. It is vital to understand that the Lord's will is for us to live a spirit-filled and spirit-dependent life. Okay, I've heard it said this way. Uh, The Christian life is not difficult. It is absolutely impossible. (laughs) It is absolutely impossible apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen any place in this building, right? As hard as we try, we cannot live perfectly. And so Jesus says this in John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I love that pep talk. Look, you can't do it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in the same context, and later in John 15, he says, look, I know you're helpless without me, so I'm going to send you a divine helper. And he, he is not going to leave us high and dry. God is going to say, I know what you need. I know all that you need. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so you can live a life of victory and hope and effectiveness. And so we need to live Holy Spirit-filled and Holy Spirit-dependent. Help me with these last three words. When should we do this? All the time. All the time. That's what he's saying. This is what we have to do. And so then Paul, and I believe that he, he draws this contrast because probably a lot of people in the church of Ephesians around that area uh, knew what it was like to be drunk. Okay, that was an experience that they had. So he draws this contrast between what it's like to be drunk on wine versus what it's like to have a spirit-filled life. And Paul is saying here, rather than being filled with wine and under its influence, Christ followers should be filled with the Holy Spirit and under the Holy Spirit's influence. That the Holy Spirit empowers us and works in us and through us. And so in order for us to be Holy Spirit filled and Holy Spirit dependent, no other influences are welcome in the life of a Christ follower. And that's what he's describing here. So let me clarify for you this morning what the Bible's stance is on alcohol. Okay? The Bible overall and this verse does not forbid all use of alcoholic beverages. It does not. And in fact, I think that might be a misconception that we have as believers, is we oftentimes villainize, uh, okay, oh, if, if that's bad, right? Somehow that alcohol is bad. However, the Bible strongly warns against the dangers of alcohol. And here's why. It's easy to fall into this trap of dealing with stress, dealing with sadness, dealing with hopelessness, And oftentimes, culturally, or even just in our experience, we think we'll just have a drink. Like, it's been a long day. 
It's been a long season. It's been a hard week. I'll just have a drink. Now, inherently, the drink is not what's wrong with the equation. Okay, that drink is not the sin. But as believers in a living God, nothing should replace our peace in times of trouble. Because will that drink actually give you what your heart needs? No, no way. Will two drinks or three drinks or four drinks? No. And so nothing can and nothing should replace the comfort that the Holy Spirit is intended to and can only bring. There are no substitutes for true abundant life that God intends for us. And so to turn to alcohol instead of to Jesus for anything we need is dangerous. And that's why Ephesians 5 says, be careful in the way that you live. Make sure our hearts don't get confused on the role of alcohol in our lives. It cannot bring us what we want. It is just a way to cope with what we're dealing with. Now, the Bible is clear that drunkenness is a sin. Um, In modern slang, we might call it getting wasted. And I was thinking about how that actually is kind of a good word for what happens when someone consumes alcohol in excess. It wastes our time. It wastes our purpose. It wastes our property. It wastes our relationships. It wastes our days. Destruction often comes along with drunkenness. So why is drunkenness a sin? Why? Why is it unwise? I think that the Lord wants us to ask these questions. Well, because when we allow alcohol to control us, when we allow alcohol to influence us, we crowd out the Holy Spirit who is always supposed to be in the driver's seat. You know how we talk about how we we did something under the influence of alcohol, right? It was usually stupid. (laughs) That's That's kind of the story that we tell. And maybe sometimes it was funny, but then sometimes it's destructive. Well, this is what he's saying. Look, don't do anything outside of the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are under the influence of alcohol, you are out of the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to, in order to live Holy Spirit-filled and Holy Spirit-dependent, we have to make sure that we don't fill ourselves up with alcohol and its influence because then we negate the influence of the Holy Spirit. All right, so Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which means um, excessive indulgence and pleasure and all kinds of other things. I had to look it up too. All right, this is not like a common word we use. It just means excessive pleasure. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So that's Paul's main point. He's not writing this to talk about alcohol. He was just using that as a uh, example, as a a contrast. And so I want to look, I want to focus for these next few minutes on what it means and what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life. So first, a Spirit-filled life requires a yielded heart, a yielded heart. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story about me driving, but you have to promise not to judge my driving skills, okay? I don't want to feed the, feed the uh, um, stereotype. Okay, so I was driving on a country road. I'm from the country last summer, and I came upon a really very, uh, a narrow bridge, and there was a sign posted in front of the bridge to yield to oncoming traffic, and so I looked ahead, and there was a car approached the bridge about the same time I did, and um, so I waited because I follow the rules, and they also waited. And then we were like awkwardly waiting for a long time. So at about the same time, we were both like, well, we might as well just go for it. And so then we met nose to nose in the middle of the bridge, okay? So now we're like looking at each other, and I like waving, and he's rolling his eyes. And I'm like, all right, so then we 
both put it in reverse. We're backing off the bridge. It was just a very awkward experience. But anyway, we finally got through it. And when I crossed that bridge, I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was a yield sign on the other side of the bridge, too. They're both sides. So truly, we were both actually following the rules of the traffic, you know? And at first, I thought, well, that is silly to have yield signs on both sides because then nobody actually knows who has the right-of-way. And I just love how the Holy Spirit shows up at ordinary moments. Does this ever happen to you? Like, the Holy Spirit just kind of, like, gently kind of taps you on the shoulder and is like, hey, hey, I have a point here. And so gently but so firmly, the Lord said to me, Nicole, I always have the right-of-way. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Give him the right of way in your coming and in your going. On every bridge of life, every time. When should you yield both ways on every bridge all the time? And so you got stuck in the middle there because you took it upon yourself to go when I didn't tell you to yet. (laughs) A yielded heart describes a person who habitually lives with every area of his or her life under the control of the Holy Spirit in their coming and in their going, yielding on both sides of the bridge. Because the goal is not to be self-controlled. When I'm self-controlled, I mess it up, but to be spirit-controlled. Holy Spirit, you go first and I'll follow. And if you, if you don't go, take me that way, I won't go. But God, if you do, I will. A yielding heart. All right, here's the next one. It requires a steady heart, a steady heart. You know, when we live Holy Spirit filled, we depend less and less on our feelings. We rely less on what we see around us and the circumstances that affect us. And we rely more on the promises of God. The promises of God are the authority by which we can live. How we feel can often change and quickly, but the trustworthiness of God stays consistent and steady. Maybe you've seen this illustration before of this train. This diagram talks about the relationships between fact, faith, and feeling. Facts are uh, God and his word. Faith is what we believe about God and his word. And feelings is what comes uh, in our faith, in in, in, in our obedience. And so often, feelings are the guiding factor of our life, aren't they? Feelings are the guiding factor. If we feel something, we call it real. In fact, we even have this kind of phrase in our culture, like, I'm not feeling it, right? (laughs) Like, or, or, or I'm feeling it, this is good. If we don't feel anything, we deem it as not real. And when we can't feel God, we often write him off as distant or missing. Have you ever been in a season in your life where you're like, I can't feel God, he must not be here? right? Because feelings is what we drive to. But God's order is not feelings first. God's order is facts, then faith, then feelings. Facts are things that are always true. Now now hear me say this. You believing a fact does not make it true. You believing a fact does not make it true. People believe all kinds of things that aren't true. That's called the internet, okay, (laughs) right? I mean, that's the whole internet. All these things that aren't true. But facts are true even if no one believes it. For example, let me tell you this. Whether you believe it, whether someone believes it or not today, the fact is that Jesus Christ died for our sin and rose again to be our living Savior today. Hallelujah. If no one believed that on the face of the earth, it would still be true. That's a fact. That happened. That will always have happened. That's never going to change. That is a fact of who God is. 
Faith is taking God at his word. It's believing the facts and saying, yes, God, I believe that these things are true and and I'm going to act on it. The Bible makes it clear that all blessings of God come to us by faith, not by feelings. All blessings of God come to us by faith. Let me show you in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is when we believe the facts of what to be true. If we don't believe the facts, the facts are still the facts. But faith is us believing in them. And then our feelings, I think, are always catching up. You know, feelings are very, very real, and they're not bad, but man, are they fickle. Uh, We have three young daughters, they're 13, 9, and 7, and before breakfast, we've gone through six cycles of feelings, okay? Anybody out there with daughters? I mean, Joel's like losing his mind. Like, I thought we were excited. No, now we're sad. All right, let's make sure that, you know, I mean, it just goes around and around, because feelings are fickle. They aren't bad, but they change, and a train will run without a caboose. And you can't lead a train with a caboose, but once you act in faith, your feelings will catch up. A spirit-filled life does not depend on feelings. A spirit-filled life does not depend on emotions. A steady heart places our trust in the trustworthiness of God who never breaks a promise. All right, so a spirit-filled life is a yielding heart, a steady heart, and then lastly, a worshipful heart. So in Ephesians 5, Paul says, uh, be filled with the Spirit, speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you continue reading Ephesians 6 and in, uh, 5 and into chapter 6, Paul actually talks about how to have a spirit-filled marriage, how to um, have a spirit-filled family, how your work life can be spirit-filled, how you deal with the enemy who comes against your, your life. But what I find interesting is that Paul begins to describe a spirit-filled life with the way that we worship. That's where he starts. That's where he begins. Why does Paul do this? Because your worship is a window to your heart. Your worship is a window to your heart. When your heart is right with the Lord, your worship is pleasing to the Lord. And in fact, if you want to evaluate where you really stand with the Lord, then take a hard look at how you worship him. When your heart is right, the worship will be right also. Evaluate, how do you feel about going into worship? What do you feel while you worship? If it feels a little boring and a little stale, I'm here to tell you it's not actually the songs that we picked or the beat that's going on. It's what's happening inside of you. Because worship is a window to your heart. I love verse 19. Paul says, sing and make melody from your heart. I did a word study on what melody means. And it actually means to pluck or twitch, uh, uh, and it refers to the vibration of strings. And so it gives us a mental image of someone playing a harp or a guitar. When the string is plucked, right, it makes music. And so how Paul is describing worship is it's like a heart being strummed by the Holy Spirit. Worship is when the Lord 
gets into your heart and strums the, the spiritual part of your heart. And then out of that comes a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song for his glory. Worship is more than singing along with the words. It's more than raising your hands in the air. It doesn't have to look the same for everybody, but it's more than if the songs are your preference or the style is your favorite. This phrase is referring to a deeper experience. It's referring to the Holy Spirit getting inside your heart and literally strumming the, the, the strings of your heart so that the glory of God comes out of you. When our hearts are reminded who God is, we remember that the Lord, what the Lord has done for us and how much we love him and the strings of our heart vibrate. True worship, always a matter of the heart. Always arises out of love for the Lord. And so a Holy Spirit-filled and Holy Spirit-dependent life, according to uh, the book of Ephesians, is marked by worship and gratitude. And you know what I love? It's like a self-perpetuating practice is that those who are filled with the Spirit naturally praise, and when you praise, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So those, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you praise, and then when you praise, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so actually today, as we just go back into worship here pretty soon, I want to encourage you, you might be like, you know, I just, I'm, I feel pretty empty. I feel pretty dry. I need to like get some feelings in me so that I can praise. And God's saying, no, no, no. If you praise, the Holy Spirit will come, you see? And so when we just stop, when we don't do anything because we feel empty, we're putting ourselves in this position that we aren't being filled with the Holy Spirit, so then we can't praise. So praise anyway, Right? And, and I, I feel like I'm understanding him writing this from prison all over again. He probably didn't feel like praising, but what he's saying in this moment is, look, when you praise, it fills you with the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit helps you praise. And so I told you it was the most practical verse. We're going to put it in action today. So would you stand, actually? Stand up. The worship team's coming back. We're going to take some time to put this into action but as we prepare to worship, I, I do want to teach you, I want to just help you do this really practical tool. I'm just calling it spiritual breathing today. Um, but as you're trying to live a Holy Spirit-filled life, a Holy Spirit-dependent life, sometimes we go off course, okay? Sometimes we feel empty. Sometimes uh, we sin or make a mistake. Sometimes an action or attitude is displeasing to us, to, to the Lord, and we don't know what to do and we're feeling stuck or caught and so I want to do this together today as a church family, but I want to challenge you to use this throughout your week, throughout your month, um, as maybe you're, if you feel stuck, if you feel empty, this is just a great way to kind of recalibrate yourself. So if you could just uh, take a minute and just close your eyes for a second. And the first thing where you can always start is repentance. Repentance is always a good starting place. I feel like some of you came here today and said, I don't even know where to start to get my relationship back with the Lord. Let me tell you the answer to that. Repentance is where we start. So I just want you to take a minute, just between you and, and God, I want you to say, God, what are, is there anything I've done that is outside of what you want for me? Is there an attitude I'm carrying? Is there an action that I did? Is there a bridge that I'm, I'm going over instead of yielding to you? Just ask the Lord to speak to you right now. remind us 99.9% is not full obedience. So what is that 
now just thank God for the fact that Christ died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sin. Whether you feel that today or not, whether you have even have faith for that today or not, thank God for the fact that Jesus died on a cross so that your sin could be forgiven in your place for this sin that the Lord even just showed you. In fact, would you just say out loud right where we are, just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And now, just claim Christ's love and forgiveness by faith. Sometimes I even imagine Jesus like handing me a clean slate or a new heart. Maybe you imagine Christ's face in your mind right now. Whatever it is, just imagine in your mind's eye as if you're taking something from him. This is the the love and forgiveness that he's offering. Take it from him as a gift and stand on the fact of that truth. Again, not your feelings, but the fact that his blood that was shed allows for your forgiveness today. just keep your eyes closed for a minute longer. This is the breathing part. I want you to take a big deep breath. And as you push it out, as you exhale, just breathe out the things that where you've missed the mark of God's best. Breathe out the the things that are in you that aren't from God. Let go of the pain, the worry, the fear. Just get them out. Breathe them out. And then as you take a new breath, say, as if the Holy Spirit is hovering around you and you're breathing it in like a fragrance, breathe in the Holy Spirit. And as he gets inside of you, he's gonna take throne in your heart. God say, fill me, Holy Spirit. I wanna be dependent upon you. I wanna be full of you. And you breathe in his spirit, out the things that don't belong in our hearts and in the surrender and the control of your life to Christ. Like I said, we're gonna worship here for a few minutes. And this is what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to change your physical position in some way. When we change something in the natural, we're signaling to our body that something is different. Like we're not just standing here anymore. We want our hearts to be yielded, right? We want our hearts to be steady. We want our hearts to be worshiping. And so I'm gonna ask you today that some of you, God's gonna say, go down to this altar space and worship. And you know what the Lord told me this week? Is that if we won't come to the altar when he tells us to, how will we go anywhere for him? How will we go anywhere else? If we won't just come to the altar when he tells us to, how will he send us further and places that will never be? Now, God might not call all of you to the altar, that's okay, but if God is saying to you, hey, you need to go down there and worship, I need you to stop ignoring that. Not for me, for you. Because I want God to tell you where he wants you to go. And I want you to know that. And I want you to be uh, know that he is pushing you in that direction. So maybe you want to move from your seat to the altar, move from your seat to the aisle, get on your knees, raise your hands up high. Here's the thing. We just have to like do it. Like worship is something you do, okay? So let's get in the word. Let's be hungry for the Holy Spirit and say, God, I want to be filled. I want to be dependent upon you. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing this song. God, I thank you. God, we want a yielded heart. God, we want to yield to you from every direction and our coming and our going. God, we want to focus on you in a way that we've never been so laser focused before because God, we want to be part of the solution. We want to be part of the plan that you have for this generation at this time. God, we only get one chance at February 27th, 2022. And so God, we're going to give you all that we have because Lord, we want all that you are.
Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a message and share it with your friends. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook and Instagram or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.